You're listening to the Sexy Vampire Teeth Podcast. Hey guys, it's just Joe tonight. Um, I'm here for the final uh, episode in the series, Giant Must Movie Summer, that we put together this year. And um, we're going to close this out tonight and move on next month to a couple new things like we talked about the previous um, episodes. So originally we mentioned talking about the Beast from uh, 20,000 Fathoms as the, the movie we we're going to talk about tonight. But uh, it's just me, so I decided to kind of change that and talk about something that might be a little bit more relevant to what we had previously talked about. And uh, we're going to be discussing the 1949 version of Mighty Joe Young. Uh, And the reason why I decided to talk about this instead is I found it was a little bit more fitting, being that we just did King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, Willis O'Brien had a big part in creating that story. Willis O'Brien had a huge part in creating giant monsters in general, especially in America. So I want to take a small podcast to talk about that film and a little bit about his life. And, you know, this short, quick bite isn't really enough to give either of those things justice. But I figured it would be good enough to give you guys a little bit of information and possibly whet your appetite into finding out more on your own and checking this movie out, checking out some stuff by uh, this American pioneer of film. So let's just get right into it. Mighty Joe Young, like I said, was a 1949 film. Uh, There was a remake, not talking about that. Although it was decent, it wasn't really great in my opinion, but the original is quite charming. Uh, It's a pretty good movie, although it didn't do very well. Uh, It's an RKO picture. It was uh, produced by Maren C. Cooper and directed by Ernest uh, Schoedzak. These two guys were the creative team behind King Kong from 1933. Uh, Same exact team. Uh, Wills O'Brien was the uh, animator on this as well. He also did King Kong. So the entire team came back to do this film. The reason why this movie was made in the first place was really for a cash grab. King Kong had been released in 1933 and then subsequently in the 30s and 40s in re-releases. And all those releases, uh, the initial and the ones afterwards, were very profitable. They also made a sequel that did well. So they decided to kind of cash in on that and turn a profit with another film that was very similar. Uh, And I'm not going to go into the story too much, but I'll talk a little bit about it. And you'll see it's... Essentially like the same movie, uh, slight differences. So this whole team came back together, and uh, the film stars Robert Armstrong, who was also in King Kong and Son of Khan. Uh, he played Carl Denham in King Kong. Uh, in this film, he plays a guy named Max O'Hara. You also have Terry Moore playing the role of Jill, and then Ben Johnson playing the role of Greg. So the story of the film, we have his character Jill. She's a young girl. She lives on a ranch in Africa with her father. She winds up adopting this gorilla, a small gorilla baby. You know, she has a whole, like, you know, can I keep it situation with her father? And he's like, yeah, sure, all right, you know, whatever. Turns out this gorilla is, uh, gr- grows to a massive size, it's like about 12, 13 feet. So we see Jill later on in life. Uh, it's about, I think about 12 years later, if I'm not mistaken. She has the full-grown Mighty Joe. Now Max and Greg, they're looking for animals to fill this new nightclub that opened up at Hollywood. And they run across the Mighty Joe. And they want to take him, obviously, bring him back to Hollywood, bring him to this nightclub, make a lot of money. Um, If this sounds familiar, it's very similar to the plot of King Kong. So Greg, young guy, falls for Jill right off the bat. And uh, that's going to cause some problems, obviously. Max finds out that this gorilla is actually Jill's pet and also realizes that she's in a little bit of financial trouble. so So he takes advantage of this, obviously, and he offers her money to take this gorilla back to Hollywood uh, with her 
and do shows at the nightclub. And she agrees to uh, for the money because she needs it. So we kind of get a love story between Greg and Jill, uh, which blossoms throughout the film. And we get Jill and Mighty Joe uh, at this club doing all sorts of um, little shows. And eventually the gorilla, he gets upset. He misses his home. They both get homesick. They decide they want to go back. It's not working out. People are being rude to them. He gets agitated. Uh, he turns on a couple people, a couple drunk guys. So it all starts to kind of fall apart. And Greg's in love with her at this point. He goes, listen, we'll go back. And that's what basically happens. And on the way, there's some trouble. And they have to kind of deal with that and find a way to get out of it. Um, at the end of this film, there is a, uh, a pretty great sequence where Joe saves a bunch of uh, children from a burning orphanage. And what they do at that what they do with that scene is they uh, they tint the entire thing red. So black and white films, um, they did use like some techniques to color certain things. Sometimes they would go in and just paint specific parts or uh, specific scenes. Uh, you know, a very painstaking process, as you can imagine, because they're literally just painting small pieces of clothing or whatever it was, uh, or some kind of effect on each piece of film. To get that uh, effect this this just does something more simple it's kind of an artistic approach to just tint the whole thing red now obviously nowadays we're desensitized to all sorts of stuff but this was definitely something that would elicit some feelings in watching this on the big screen it's considered a huge uh, moment in the film and in film in general really at this time pretty impressive stuff even now so without giving too much away with the ending that's the movie and i highly recommend it it's a very charming film it's a very well done film it's a lot like King Kong, uh, but it's got its own uh, signature on it for sure. And um, although it didn't do very well, uh, the, the, the film kind of tanked. It was supposed to have a sequel with Mighty Joe Young and Tarzan, but it never happened. Uh, the film was basically a flop. But it did win uh, an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, which I'm going to talk about actually in a little bit because I do want to get into uh, Willis O'Brien. So Willis O'Brien, who we've talked about a couple times before, especially with this theme we've been doing. I want to talk a little bit about him because I feel like his life is is something else and there's a lot of tragedy in there and, and a lot of like triumph too. It's a humbling sort of story and uh, I just want to share a little bit about uh, him with you guys. So he was born on March 2nd, uh, 1886 uh, in Oakland, California. And by the age of 11, this guy was already on his own. And by 13... He was working on ranches as like ranch hand, cowboy. Uh, he worked. He was working in bars. He had no breaks given to him uh, at all. Guy worked his ass off as a kid, basically. Got into uh, becoming a guide for paleontologists at, at a certain point around this uh, around this age, and that sparked his love for dinosaurs, which will become a huge part of his life. So later on, he starts getting into sculpting and art, and he's. Uh, working in San Francisco. He wants to become a boxer at one point too. He, he did, he basically, he did it all. In 1915, he's working at the World's Fair in San Francisco and he gets into stop motion animation, a small little thing that he made for that uh, fair, gets him some attention. And this attention brings him into the film world. So he starts doing short films. Thomas Edison takes uh, notice of him. He starts working for that company as well. So now he's doing some stop motion stuff, mostly with dinosaurs, because that's his thing. The film that basically solidified his career and, and, and made him a name name was The Lost World from 1925. He did that movie. He started working with uh, model makers, uh, these two brothers, Richard and Marcel Delgado. And they they 
did basically a lot of his uh, puppets, um, King Kong. The whole process of this was uh, they would take, you know, a metal frame. They'd build it over with rubber skin. Fake, obviously, skin. But it, rubber uh, parts and stuff like that. And then they'd, they'd dress up the, you know, the outer body. If it was a dinosaur with scales. If it was King Kong, obviously, hair. Uh, facial features are put in. And it's able to move uh, with these armatures inside of it. And they also put, like, a, like a balloon almost. They could blow up to give the appearance of these things breathing, which I think is genius, especially for, you know, back then. So around this time, he also gets married to a woman named Ruth, and they have two sons, William and Willis. Uh, it is not a happy marriage. Uh, he kind of goes through it. He starts drinking, uh, having affairs, kind of falling into depression. So the marriage only lasts for about five years, and then they're done. He has a good relationship with his sons, and they stay in his life. She just wasn't for him, right? So uh, she winds up getting tuberculosis and cancer. His son Willis gets tuberculosis as well. It makes him blind. So he loses his sight completely. Shortly after this, uh, 1933, he starts working on King Kong. Obviously, huge success. Makes him a household name at this point. He had brought his children to see the puppets that they were making. Uh, obviously, his one son was blind, so he was letting him touch everything. Brings them back home, and shortly after, his ex-wife, Ruth, kills both of the kids. She shoots them. Turns the gun on herself, shoots herself in the lung, and actually prolongs her own life by emptying out the lung of tuberculosis. This is what happens. So now, she's in the hospital. She lives for about another year or so. Obviously, the guy's beyond devastated. Right? Words can't describe what this guy's probably going through. Um, there's a lot of photographs of him around this time, and you could obviously see, like, just the utter uh, defeat on a man who's, you know, probably dealt with a lot of that his entire life. I mean, like I said, he was on his own since 11, but he loses his kids, and at the same time, he gains such success with this movie. Now, so now King Kong is huge. It, uh, it, it wins an award uh, from the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, all right, and this is for special effects, and it goes to Willis O'Brien. He refuses the award because they won't give one to everybody else that worked on the special effects he's like i'm not taking the award unless everybody gets one too they're like we're not doing that it's just for you then he's like well i'm not taking it and kind of becomes not, not blacklisted but uh he gets labeled an outsider you know this this was like a a bad move especially for those times to refuse something like this and it kind of makes him like this outsider character so now he gets married a second time uh shortly after this uh it's a woman named darlene she's his wife until he passes away i believe they worked on some projects together too uh, I, I imagine they had a pretty happy marriage from what it sounded like he works on a number of projects you know quite a few of them are unrealized uh, or or as we talked about with king kong vs godzilla taken from him so he goes through more hardship with his work uh does make quite a few other movies uh after king kong uh, some some big ones, and then does win the uh, the Academy Award for Mighty Joe Young, like I said before, and it goes to the entire production team. So he does accept that, so he gets his award. So in Mighty Joe Young, he brings in an apprentice, and this is Ray Harryhausen, who was a huge household name as well at the time, not so much, but he becomes one. This was the movie that also brought him into the forefront. They work on some stuff together. I think the last film that they worked on together was called The Animal World. Maybe I got that wrong. I'm not sure. It's like a nature documentary with stop motion so when willis o'brien passes away in november 1962 harryhausen basically carries the torch he's already on, you know well on his way 
with it in hand. One of the unrealized projects of Willis O'Brien was this, the Valley of the Goangi. It was made by Ray Harryhausen in 1969 to pay homage and respect to his teacher, you know, his mentor. There's a lot more to say, obviously, about both of these creators, but I thought that this was just a, a, a small introduction to, to his life. And uh, I do want to talk more about Ray Harryhausen, uh, although he doesn't really make horror films so much, but um, I still think they're worth talking about. They kind of cross the genre in moments and scenes and characters for sure. So we'll try to get to those at some point. But I, uh, I urge you, if any of this stuff is interesting, to just go check this stuff out. So Mighty Joe Young is available to rent. Uh, it's not really free on anything, although maybe you might be able to find a copy of it on YouTube. But uh, it's not a lot. You can even just buy the Blu-ray. I think it's like $13 or something on Amazon. It's worth having. It's got some special features and stuff like that. So if you want to know more about these guys... There's some documentaries on there as well, so you get a little bit more than just a movie. If you guys have enjoyed Giant Monster Movie Summer, I'm glad. Uh, oh, we're just going to move on to some new stuff. Uh, there's a lot out there um, to get some information on these movies. With uh, We talked about Toho a lot. There's a website, uh, Toho Kingdom. You could go on there and you can basically see a whole list of the movies they made. And watch some stuff that like doesn't. that's not a Godzilla movie, I guess I should say. Because some of the other things are really great. Definitely worth a watch. Look up Willis O'Brien's filmography. Harry uh, Harryhausen, they're not really horror movies, but they're giant monsters, uh, and they're pretty great. Obviously, you know, it's so easy to access information nowadays. You go on the internet and just type something in, you'll find lists all over the place. So it's not going to be hard to find these things. But um, these are some of the uh, companies and creators that I really recommend, uh, and um, movies that I grew up with, too. So with that said, we're done with this for now. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed. Hope I, I hope you enjoyed this particular podcast. And I hope you guys continue to listen uh, next month. we got a lot of good stuff coming up. Uh, thank you very much as always, and have a good night. Hey guys, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and Apple iTunes. Also, you can follow us on social media. We have Twitter, and that's at Sexy Vamp Teeth. We also have Instagram at the Sexy Vampire Teeth Podcast. And if you want to follow Justin, all you that's need to me. do... Oh, you're still on the phone? Uh, I... Very rarely ever hang up. Tell the people where they could follow you, Justin. Well, if you want to follow me on Facebook, you can find me as Justin Tong. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me jtong81. And if you want to follow me on Slasher, the horror-based social media site, you can find me at Sexy Vampire Teeth Pod. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can't. I'm off the stuff. So if you guys want updates on the show, please follow us on our social media sites. And make sure to tune in every Monday night for a new episode. Thanks for listening, guys, and good night. So long, everybody. You've been listening to the Sexy Vampire Teeth Podcast.